At a time like this, it's easy to see why local news is so important and why that news should be free for everyone who needs it to be. Your support of KCUR makes this essential reporting possible. If you can, please donate. KCUR.org slash give. And thanks. Good morning and welcome to Up to Date Special Coverage Coronavirus in Kansas City. I'm Steve Kraske. Lots to talk about today. Kansas City Mayor Quinton Lucas will be here to talk about the president's new social distancing guidelines and to take your questions. We'll also speak with Esther George of the Kansas City Fed about the economy and prospects for recovery. We'll begin, though, with a check in with Blue Springs Mayor Carson Ross. Before all that, KCUR Sam Zeff is here to run down some big stories. Sam, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. You're back with some non-coronavirus news, Sam. This morning, you've got new information on that bitter court fight between KU and former head football coach David Beatty. Yeah, so earlier this week, the court released two depositions, one by Jeff Long, the athletic director, and another one by a a guy named uh, Matthew Beatty. No relation to David Beatty, B-A-T-Y. The university fought tooth and nail to keep these sealed. Uh, And so, uh, and uh, uh, the uh, lawyer for David Beatty uh, made a couple of motions and the court decided to release those, uh, both about 100 pages each, uh, earlier this week. Uh, They landed yesterday and that's uh, that's when I spent yesterday afternoon reading them. So what's your takeaway from those depositions, Sam? So as I mentioned, Jeff Long is the current athletic director. He's the one who fired David Beatty uh, and hired Les Miles as the head football coach. Matt Beatty was the head of the Williams Educational Fund. For KU people, you'll recognize that as that's the fundraising arm for the athletic department, raises money for buildings, it raises money for scholarships, whatever the athletic department needs. There's about eight to ten fundraisers in the Williams Fund at any one time. A couple of years ago, Matt Beatty was the head of that. Uh, and so the, the takeaway from these two depositions, we really don't get to the, uh, to the meat of what the, uh, what the controversy is uh, with the lawsuit. Uh, they fired Beatty. Uh, he had a $3 million buyout in his contract. Uh, after they fired him, the university came back and said, wait a minute. We're not going to pay you because now we've uncovered NCAA violations. Uh, That was when uh, Beatty sued uh, the university. That lawsuit's been going on for about a year and a half now. The depositions didn't quite get to the the meat of that controversy, but it was interesting that the two men had vastly different recollections of when the decision was made to fire David Beatty Hmm. and how to get the money to pay off his $3 million. Jeff Long said the uh, decision was made late in the season. Uh, He fired him just after the Iowa State game, uh, said you're going to work out uh, the end of the season. David Beatty agreed to that. But in the deposition by Williams Fund head, former Williams Fund head Matt Beatty, he said that he was told by Long Uh, back in August, before the season started, that he was supposed to start raising from from funders the $3 million needed to pay Mm -hmm. off Beatty's contract. So vastly different uh, uh, recollections uh, about that. Uh, And that's part 
of what uh, the lawsuit uh, that Beatty is going to allege uh, if it gets to court, that Beatty was treated vastly differently uh, than uh, Les Miles, and there are NCAA violation, alleged violations against him, and the very, very serious allegations against KU men's basketball and KU men's basketball coach Bill Self. Well, it's a real peek inside the operations of KU Athletics. Uh, that's KCUR Sam Zeff. Sam, thanks very much. My pleasure, Steve. Blue Springs is scheduled to have an election for mayor on April 7th. Now the question is, will the election take place given the threat of COVID-19 on the community? Now joining us is Blue Springs Mayor Carson Ross as we continue our regular check-ins with area mayors to see how they're faring with the pandemic. Mayor Ross happens to be one of the four candidates for mayor on the ballot uh, this month. Mayor, welcome back. Nice to have you. Yes, Steve. It's always good to be with KCUR. Is Blue Springs going to go ahead with its April 7th election, or like all elections, Carson, have, have those things been pushed off? That decision is made was made by the governor. It has been pushed off to June 2nd. What impact will that have on the race? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't have any impact at all, except everybody was prepped, ready to go, and it just got delayed. But, you know, that's life. Life is full of surprises, and you just have to adapt to it. And at least that's what I've done. You know, you can't worry about things you don't control. I've asked the other mayors this question, Mayor. What worries you the most about this outbreak? Is there anything that keeps you up at night? Yeah, because not knowing what the future holds. You know, that's the key, and no one knows. You know, we've dealt with disasters. We've had tornadoes. We've had hurricanes. We've had fires in the West, but they're pretty much isolated or confined to certain areas. But when you have something that affects the whole United States where people are not working, that's what keeps me up. People are not working. They don't have income coming in. So how do they survive? You know, rents due, mortgage payments due. You're going to feed your family. Now, fortunately, in Blue Springs, we have a couple of organizations that have stepped up to the plate. We have the Community Services League that are providing food three days a week to people without question. Uh, just the only question I'll ask is how many is in your family? Uh, I don't know if you saw last night, one of the TV stations ran a special on the first Christian, I mean, the First Baptist Church of Blue Springs mm -hmm. has an impact ministry to where they're feeding people. You know, people can come and pick up groceries. So that's the thing that bothers me is, you know, the stock market, people's 401ks are sinking. It's tanking. Mm-hmm. Um, what does the future hold for people? You know, right. that's that's my big concern. When organizations, Mayor, when organizations like that step up to the plate, how much of a difference does it make in your community? It makes a big difference. It shows that the people in this community care. And there are other people that are doing things that's not on the radar, you know, to help people. Because, you know, it's, when you have a caring community, nobody wants to see their neighbors suffer. You know, so so you have people stepping up to the plate and doing what they can to help their neighbor. What's your read on how your small business community is being impacted right now, Mayor? You know, when I drive around, and again, I, I drive around, I'm alone, so I'm not breathing on anybody. You know, it's, just, <laughs> it's contained in my car, like my office right now. My door's shut, and I'm the only one that's in here. Right. It's when I see those doors closed, that means that there are people that's been laid off. It means that uh, 
there's no revenue coming in. And again, we know that that's going to affect the city's revenue because cities operate on sales tax dollars. Mm-hmm. That's our primary source. Mm-hmm. And if the, if, if the stores are closed and they're not selling anything and no sales tax are being collected, that's going to affect us. Now, we have our employees working remotely to be able to do uh, to make sure the city functions properly. But we know as next quarter, as we take a look at the uh, revenue coming in, it's going to be down. So we're going to have to be taking steps to figure out how do we uh, cut services, hopefully not cut services, but uh, to be able to adjust the budget to be right. able to continue to function. So no one is immune to this. I was going uh, to say, Mayor, what impact do you expect the, to, to see show up in your budget? What What's likely going to be the result here in terms of what your city can continue to provide? You know, that's something yet to be determined. We will have to sit down and and, uh, evaluate what can we do to be able to still provide services. Now, fortunately, um, like within, uh, hopefully within many people's household, and I've always preached this to my children and now grandchildren, always have a rainy day uh, fun, right? Because you never know when it's going to rain, mm-hmm. and basically, in in simple terms, that's called reserves or savings account. And how much do you have in Blue Springs? You know what? I don't know what the number is without checking with my finance director uh, to see exactly what the number is. Uh, but you, we do have some reserves because, unlike the federal government, with the two trillion dollars that they're getting ready to try to help uh, in the economy, and that's not going to solve the problem. But they have a printing press. Mm-hmm. They can print money. <laughs> we can't. I don't. I don't have one of those printing presses where I can print money and right. be able to do things. So uh, we just know it's going to affect us. And again, we, we we'll take a look and see what our reserves are. You know, how long can we right. sustain with that? And there's just going to be a lot of uh, soul searching and evaluating and analyzing that's going to go on. You know, to make sure that we can still provide the basic services that we need to for our citizens. I'm visiting with Blue Springs Mayor Carson Ross. Uh, Mayor, we were talking about your small business community. As you know, Mayor Lucas here in Kansas City has uh, gotten past a half million dollar program aimed at helping small businesses. Sounds like a lot of money. I suspect when you really implement it, it may not go all that far. You're obviously a far smaller community. Can you do anything like that for your small businesses there? You know what? Uh, I I just don't know. I just we we have to evaluate what our funds are. But again, you don't want to give people false hope by saying that you can do some things that's not going to that's going to be uh, that you can't sustain mm-hmm. for a period of time. You know, we don't want to put a band aid on something. And again, when you're talking about a half million dollars for the city of Kansas City, that's not very much. Mm-hmm. And and certainly we don't have a half million dollars just sitting out there that we can use. But, you know, we, we had a work session Monday night, and that's one of the things that we talked about. Is there anything that we can do to help some of those small businesses, you know, get on track, uh, you know, when they are allowed to open? You know, how how, how do we help jumpstart right. them? Are you getting uh, what and, you and who qualifies for it? You right. Know, you know, I mean, you have to make some decisions. We don't want to have to pick winners and losers. Mayor, are you getting what you need in terms of aid, planning, supplies, whatever, from the state and, and Governor Mike Parson? Okay, now here's one of the issues that we're dealing with. Since 
other than Kansas City that's in Jackson County, all the cities in Jackson County, including your larger ones, Blue Springs, Independence, Lee Summit, Grandview, Raytown, we don't have health departments. So we are governed by Jackson County Health Department and making a decision that they made on what's essential and all that. So so we're not involved in those decisions making. We're subject to the decisions that the core four made. Mm-hmm. You know, where you had the four large, you had Kansas City, you had Jackson County, you had Wyandotte County, and you also had Johnson County right. coming together to make these decisions. Well, some of us have asked the Mid-America Regional Council, which represents nine counties and 119 cities within this region, that we need to assemble something that's called MAC, what it is kind of a multi-jurisdictional agency, Mm -hmm. to try to assemble a group of people that are affected that was not involved in that conversation. Hmm. So we want to be involved in that conversation. So we're going to be initiating what well, Mark will be initiating. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm an officer at Mark. I'm on the board of directors and an officer. Right. To, to assemble uh, uh, some of these jurisdictional people together, you know, like Cass County, uh, Clay County, uh, Clay, Platt, right. Cass, and some of the ones on the Kansas side, we were not involved in those discussions before it happened. How about the amount of help you're getting from Jefferson City right now? Is there something you well, need well, that you can't get? Well, see, that does not come to us. That would be coming to the county. That's your point. The health department. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the point. Mm-hmm. They have the health department. They will be setting up the testing sites and all those things. And so they're the ones that's working with Jefferson City to try to identify what those needs are to bring it in. Now, one of the things that also concerns me is there are probably a lot of people walking around right now that's carrying that that could be passing it on to other people that don't know they have it because they have not been tested. Right, right. So we know that's going to spike once we do get the necessary testing equipment in and we start testing more people. We know that's going to spike before it comes down. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the other things I think that we're concerned about is there are probably people walking around worried right now thinking they might be a carrier of it, but it could be something else. Case in point, this time of year I have allergies. Right. And I Join have the club. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been to my doctor a couple of times, you know, is it really my allergies that's acting up right, right now? Right, You know, so yes, it's your allergies, so we're going to treat your allergies. So, okay. You know, there, there are just a lot of concerns out there from people, and, and we have not seen times like this. Mm-hmm. This is the first you know, and, and something that has crippled the world. I mean, I think you have to go back into biblical times. To yeah, I get something it. Something that's tragic. That's Blue Springs Mayor Carson Ross. Mayor, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. Stay safe out there, and thank you for your time as always. Hey, always my pleasure. I'm available anytime you want to talk. Thanks, Mayor. The last time she was on Up to Date in mid-February, Esther George of the Federal Reserve Bank said the economy would remain in good shape as long as people kept spending and had jobs. Well, six years later, six weeks later, neither of those things are true. At the time, she had her eyes trained on China and what kind of impact the coronavirus was having on America's big trading partner. It's too early to know, she said at the time, where this thing will land. 
she knows now. Esther George is president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. She leads a workforce of close to 2,000 employees in Kansas City and its branch offices in Omaha, Denver, and Oklahoma City. Esther, welcome back. So good to have you. Good morning, Steve. Thank you. At what point did you start to think that this coronavirus could get really serious here? Was there a moment that really grabbed your attention? Well, I think uh, after you and I had talked in February, by the first part of March, we were seeing uh, more reports of cases spreading throughout the world, including right here in the United States. And so, um, as you know, the Federal Reserve uh, took note of that and began to take steps uh, with its own policies to try to address the broader economy. We'll talk about those. First, when do you see the uh, economic activity kicking back into pre-virus form, or is it just way too early to say? So I think it's too early to say, and that, of course, makes it – very difficult to try to forecast to say, um, depending on how long it lasts, this is how soon the economy will cover. I think the one thing I would note is we came into this with an economy that was operating in a good place. Mm -hmm. We had very low unemployment. So fundamentally, the economy uh, was in good shape going into this. We'll have to see as we go through this um, how long it takes to get our footing again in terms of employment and growth uh, in the economy. And we'll keep our eyes on that as we see how the health issue unfolds. How how does someone like you, who has such a prominent position within the Federal Reserve, such a prominent position within our economy, does all this, I mean, it's got to keep you, make you a little anxious, Esther? How, How do you size it up? Well, I think all of us are uh, feeling a little unsettled because there are serious health issues that we have to pay attention to for ourselves and others. We have to think about uh, those implications without having um, a destiny, without knowing exactly where this lands. I will tell you what is helpful to me, and this, Steve, is really inherent with how the Federal Reserve is structured is the ability to reach out in our communities across our seven-state region, Mm -hmm. including right here in Kansas City, and be able to talk to people that are being affected. That helps inform what the Federal Reserve and others need to do to be responsive uh, during this difficult time. Well, let's talk about some of the steps the Fed has taken here in recent weeks. Um, one big step involved uh, two rate cuts in March, and this that was the first time the Fed has done two twice in a month since the financial crisis of 2008. The first cut was a half a percentage point on March 3rd. The second was a full point on March 15th, which brought the Fed's, you know, the overnight borrowing rate for banks back to near zero. You've been critical of these cuts in the past, and we've talked about it on this show. I'm guessing you weren't wild about the full point cut on March 15th? Well, Steve, I think given the conditions we're in, uh, policymakers, including myself, are looking at the full range of tools that the Federal Reserve can bring to try to settle financial markets. So I did not take uh, exception to the actions the Fed was taking, given how critical it is that we try to provide everything that we are able to uh, to the economy right now. So this is a time when the Federal Reserve needs to act and needs to act quickly and aggressively. 
it is a different issue once you get into an economy that's recovering when you think about uh, what the implications are. But to your point in the past, this is your biggest tool, cutting these interest rates, and now it's virtually gone. Well, it's gone, but we need to use it now. This is exactly the time when you need to be taking the full effect of your interest rate tool. And you might argue borrowing money today is probably not the first thing on some people's mind, although for others it will be a lifeline of sorts. I think what that interest rate will do, particularly as we begin to rebuild and recover, will facilitate um, a more rapid return uh, when we get to the other side of this. So uh, having low interest rates I think is absolutely the right prescription right now for the economy. So was there any division among the Fed's Board of Governors on this issue of cutting rates? So I think all of us share in trying to apply our tools. And as uh, you can see from the uh, statements that came out from those meetings, there was some variation uh, among the voting members about uh, how much to do and when, but I think there was unanimity in the fact that the Federal Reserve needed to act. Hmm. But again, arguably you've run out of ammunition now with your biggest, your biggest tool here. Well, with the interest rate tool at zero, you will also see though a number of other actions the Fed is taking to uh, intervene in markets to make sure that the financial markets can function and not only using some of the facilities that were in place during the last financial crisis, but coming up with new ways to try to ease market pressures in the corporate bond market, um, including small businesses and municipalities. So some of this is unprecedented, but I think it is exactly the thing that you want an entity like the Federal Reserve to be doing when you have this unprecedented time when a broad-based uh, hit has come to our economy. Well, one of those tools is something called quantitative easing. Uh, this is a term I don't think a lot of people understand, but it involves large-scale purchases of various types of bonds. The Fed has resumed these purchases, as you well know, Esther. Why is this helpful at a time like this? So at a time like this, Steve, uh, there is a strong desire to hold cash or to hold safe assets. And when everybody is trying to uh, get to that place at once, it creates a logjam in our financial markets. So the Federal Reserve is going out and buying agency-backed mortgage securities to, to bring money to that market. We are buying other kinds of government bonds uh, to, again, make a market so that things can continue to function. And in this scenario, again, uh, using this form of asset buying is helpful, in my view, to getting the markets restarted. You mentioned some new ways of helping out at a time like this. Uh, can you explain what maybe one or two of those are? So a couple of those is making it um, easier for banks to borrow from the Federal Reserve. So they pledge collateral. When they come to us and borrow, uh, they can borrow for longer terms. It allows them to turn around and be able to work with their customers. The Federal Reserve has also announced it will be working with the Treasury on something called Main Street lending. This again will be a way for our small businesses 
who are so vital to the economy to be able to get access to some kind of funding during this uh, difficult period and stem them over until uh, we can get back to an economy that is able to grow again. So the range of facilities in, is intended to get into really every corner of our economy by providing some kind of liquidity right now. So if, if there's a theme here, you're suggesting that the role of the Fed at a moment like this is to be aggressive, it's to be vigorous, it's to be uh, all about taking action uh, to stem off uh, bad things, right? Am I hearing that right? That's absolutely right. That's, that's the role of the central bank during a time of uh, financial crisis, during a time of a shock to the economy like this. And we will sort out later how to unwind it as the economy grows. But right now, um, it is really the job of the Fed uh, to do that, both at the local level as we manage our cash operations and work with our financial institutions, as well as on a global level as we make sure other central banks have access to dollar funding that they need. Again, I'm visiting with Esther George of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. A lot of folks are wondering, Esther, are we headed for a recession? What would be the difference between you know, this and maybe previous recessions? So I think in this case, um, the government is focused right now on asking individuals to take health precautions, to take care of themselves. And that has necessitated the closing down, if you will, of the economy in many aspects. So this one was induced in many respects. Mm -hmm. And we do see uh, by reaching out to our contacts. So while I may not have some of the official data releases that we would rely on to tell us what's uh, GDP doing, what's employment doing, we know from reaching out and hearing from people that are running small businesses uh, that employ people that we are likely in a downturn or a recession right now. How deep that will be, how long that will last, we can't know. But those early signals, I think, have given us uh, part of the information we need to act quickly and aggressively to offset some of that. You know, is it possible for the economy to get back to some semblance of normalcy while COVID-19 is is spreading through throughout the country, or do we need to control the outbreak first and, and then worry about the economy later? Well, I think right now, uh, following the advice of, of medical professionals and focusing on the health issue, because that's been the core of the shock to the economy, is the important thing. The Federal Reserve will stay focused on the health of the economy during this period, but um, I think, as each of us have been asked to do, focusing on the health issue is really at the core of what will determine how quickly uh, we can get back to some semblance of, of normal. So, so rushing the recovery, rushing to get businesses restarted might be a mistake you're suggesting? Well, I think what we have to do right now is make sure the economy's infrastructure uh, it stays intact and that whatever relief can be provided on a temporary basis is there for people. And the Federal Reserve is doing its part in that. Uh, ultimately, though, as you noted, this stems from a health care issue, and that will be really the signal that tells us when the economy is able to get back on its footing. I mean, this is really unprecedented, isn't it? I mean, this is just something completely out of the blue. 
Well, I think this particular shock, uh, if you want to call it that, it is unprecedented in many ways. Uh, crises in our country are not. You can go back over history to see that the country has endured other kinds of mm -hmm. shocks. Uh, this one is different. But I think, again, institutions like the Federal Reserve know what they need to do. And I think the public should take some confidence that even as they uh, that's Esther George, uh, president of the Federal Reserve Bank. I think we just lost her. I think what we'll do is we'll take a break. I want to thank Esther for taking uh, time, as we always do here. Uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes, uh, Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas. He'll talk about the president's new social distancing guidelines, and he'll take your questions, too, at 816-235-2888. You're listening to up-to-date special coverage, coronavirus in Kansas City. And welcome back to up-to-date special coverage, coronavirus in Kansas City. I'm Steve Kraske. President Donald Trump extended social distancing guidelines through April 30th, backing down from an earlier notion of reopening the country by Easter. Back home in Kansas City, Mayor Quentin Lucas is standing by his stay-at-home order that runs through April 24th, but doesn't plan to extend it, at least for now. He's also focusing on convincing non-essential businesses to cease operations until things improve. The mayor joins me now. Mayor, always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for taking the time. It's good to be with you, Steve. If you have a question for Mayor Quentin Lucas, call us 816-235-2888 or tweet us at KCUR up to date. What do you make of the president's most recent set of guidelines, Mayor, that extends social distancing through April 30th? First of all, I, I have to give credit where it's due. I think throughout this crisis there have been concerns. I've had concerns with the president's response. I thought this was the right decision. I particularly commend uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, Dr. Burks, who've been working with him to make sure that our entire federal government gets the full magnitude of what's ahead. So I thought it was essential. I think it is a an incredibly important move that gives direction to people throughout the country of what it is we need to do. And I hope states like Missouri follow it in a full lockstep. What else would you like to see the White House uh, do, Mayor? You know, I think there are a few things that we need more of, right? We've talked a lot about getting more personal protective equipment, masks, that sort of thing. I think that continues to be an issue throughout the country. I think testing needs to be ramped up dramatically. Uh, I have a concern right now, and I think we all do, which is the fact that there are probably hundreds of people in our region walking around right now who may be infected and do not know and, frankly, have a difficult time getting themselves tested. And then I, I'd like to see an expansion of those who are a essential workers. When I have seen grocery store workers, those in pharmacies, those who work for the city but not paramedics uh, and police officers running into any number of issues, I think it's important that we make sure they're a protected class, that they're getting PPE, that we're recognizing their service right now. So that's just a short list of what I think we need right now. Well, why can't uh, Kansas City get more uh, testing equipment? What's, what's the hold up there? I think a big part of it is cost. Uh, another part is just uh, access. And so uh, what we lacked in the early weeks of this crisis is that extreme impetus, I think, from higher levels of government to get as many people testing as possible. I think that has long-term been an incredibly regrettable decision for all of us. I saw over in Johnson County, Kansas, uh, they have approved about $400,000 of expenditures for testing. But importantly, and I commend that move, by the way, but the way they're doing that, 
that additional testing is largely almost like you do polling, getting a random sample of folks, seeing where the spread is in the county, kind of as a public health evaluative tool. Um, that is helpful, but I also would hope that a lot of people who call 311 in Kansas City each day or calling our public health department and are saying, I feel symptomatic, can actually get test, uh, tests without meeting any number of uh, different thresholds along the way. But those tests aren't available yet, though, right? That's correct. And that's, I think, an incredible challenge for us. And uh, it's going to mean that in some ways we will have a slower response long term because some of those people who might know to stay even further quarantined may continue spending time with their family, doing any number of activities, and that can lead to more spread. If the federal government had acted sooner, would Kansas City be in a different position today with its testing uh, capabilities? Absolutely. I think, uh, yes, had, uh, and I will say this in fairness to all of us, had any number of different levels of government acted sooner, we would be in a dramatically different place. And frankly, it is heartbreaking when you look at the dramatic numbers in New York. And, you know, and the way that I uh, see it is this, and, and this is the sort of uh, push I would make to the governor or really anyone, um, I'm not here to talk about what happened yesterday, right? The way you really solve a problem is looking at tomorrow. And I believe that what we need to do is to say, how can we avoid further spread in all of our communities? We don't just need to see what's happening in New York or Detroit or New Orleans as an eventuality. What we need to see is how can we try our best to flatten that curve? And I think there are key concrete steps we can take now to do it. So as we sit here today then, Mayor, on April 1st, what is the hope for uh, new testing in the days and weeks to come for Kansas City, Missouri? I was on a call probably two to three weeks ago um, with the governor, with the uh, state health director in the state of Missouri, and then large city mayors in Missouri. I think the hope was that by April 1st, we would have more drive-through testing uh, here throughout the state. Um, here in western Missouri, we do not. I think the hope was that by April 1st, we would remove certain thresholds to what it takes to get tested, i.e. allowing more people to get access. Those have not occurred yet. And so I'm a little troubled with where we are right now. I'm not just going to complain about it, though. I think I'll continue to try to work with as many private actors here in the Kansas City area and, frankly, work with our peers on the Kansas side to make sure that we are getting as much access to testing for people in the metro as we possibly can. This is a bi-state area. I think uh, our work with a number of institutions, including the University of Kansas Hospital and health authorities throughout this region, is going to be vital for us long term. A question from KCUR's Facebook page, Mayor. What lessons are there for Kansas City to learn from New York City? I think uh, we need to make sure that in our... our locking down the community, uh, that we're being very serious about it. I think it's fair to say that with the number of infections New York City had, uh, they probably acted a few days up to a few weeks late. Um, we have the fortune, and uh, I know there, but for the grace of God go I, but we have the fortune of having infections arrive in our community, likely a bit later, certainly not in the same volume. What that means for us now is that these stay-at-home orders are serious ones. And I, I, I mean actually serious, i.e. for those of you who are going to the grocery store every day. Stop. While the grocery store is an essential place, right, we're trying to limit the number of visits that people are making. Um, I think it has been important for us to close the schools. We did that, um, frankly, not too far after New York City did, but they already had a significant community spread. I mean, those are the lessons I'm learning. And really, the, the metros that I'm looking at right now are New Orleans, are Detroit. Not only are they in the middle of the country, but I think we are seeing some steps um, that have caused 
greater harm for them. And New York, in New Orleans, continuing to have large events created a big challenge for them. We were able to shut that down, but we need to make sure that those of you who are having backyard parties, the basketball games in parks, that sort of thing, really need to be clamped down on, and that's going to be more of our focus ahead. I was going to say, what does that suggest, that the police will become more assertive, more aggressive at, at, in terms of breaking up people? I think it's fair to say that that will be more of what we see over time. Um, it is vital for us that uh, we have more park rangers that are patrolling. The police chief was very kind in saying that they'll increase patrols in our parks. Um, for those who hear about neighborhood parties, and I've heard a little bit about these gatherings of 20, 30 people that um, some folks will call my office. Uh, the real direction is call 311. We'll send out a community interaction officer who is a police officer at our different patrol divisions to come investigate the day after to warn people. I mean, we're still trying to be nice about everything, Steve, and that's what we'll try to do as long as possible because, frankly, this is not a time that we want to throw anyone in jail. Um, but we will make sure that we're using more enforcement tools from fines to suspensions of businesses that aren't following these rules because this is an important public health moment. I was going to say, you've issued, uh, your health department has issued 200 letters asking non-essential businesses to seek, cease operations. Are fines coming next if those businesses don't respond, Mayor? Yeah, we largely see a three-step process. One is the warning, and those have gone out in mass over the last week. Uh, the second will be um, an, an inspector visit um, with a fine being part of it. To the extent that that does not ensure compliance, then you would look to um, cessation of business activities, revocation of a business license. These are going to be treated like a regular municipal ordinance violation. So, frankly, whatever an individual can get for a speeding ticket and then not paying it will be the same type of penalty that uh, – individuals and business entities are subject to in this situation. So your message today to Kansas City is you're starting to get more serious about cracking down on social distancing and keeping this community safe. I think it's very clear to say that we're getting more serious about that. Um, you know, this is a very serious time for us. Uh, and I think if you were to believe that the last few weeks were kind of a test run, then this is the time where we need to get serious. I, I take to heart what the President of the United States said yesterday, which is that we're due for a tough two weeks. Um, in New York City, there are, have been more than 1,000 persons that have died. That is more uh, than I think double the number of homicides they had last year in, in New York. Um, these are very serious numbers that we're facing. I would love to see that in Kansas City, we never face something per capita on that rate. And so these are the steps that are essential to make sure we do not. There's a lot of talk out east about uh, making wearing face masks mandatory going forward. Where do you stand on that? You know, I have a little bit of frustration with the face mask conversation because for a number of weeks, our uh, federal government has been telling us, no, you don't need to do that. It seems as if international health advice is suggesting that perhaps, yes, it's wise. Um, but here's the balance we're in. We don't have enough of them. We don't have enough of them for hospital workers. Uh, for any of us who go to the grocery stores, the pharmacies, any of the essential businesses, you see, God bless them, a lot of these people aren't actually wearing them. So I, I think that it is something that could be helpful um, on this one. I will await federal guidance as to whether we need to have masks in large part. We already in Kansas City have been handing out a lot of them at our homeless shelters at other places where there are lots of people and lots of exposure. I'd like to see us really take those steps, but ultimately I do see, uh, foresee us having masks being worn in public more broadly uh, among just any regular member of the public. 
Okay, we're visiting with Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas. Uh, we're going to uh, take a short break. When we come back, we're going to take your questions for the mayor at 816-235-2888, or you can tweet us at KCUR up to date. You're listening to Up to Date Special Coverage, Coronavirus in Kansas City. If you miss any of today's special coverage of Up to Date, you can catch a you can catch a rebroadcast of Up to Date Monday through Thursday evenings at eight on KCUR 89.3. Support for KCUR comes from Edelman and Thompson, assisting individuals and families in personal injury and workers' compensation cases for more than 25 years, and making a difference in the community through its Edelman and Thompson charities. Learn more at edelmanthompson.com. This is KCUR 89.3, a service of the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Okay, we're back with Kansas City, Missouri Mayor Quentin Lucas. Let's go to some phone calls now. Let's go to Arlene in Prairie Village. Arlene, you're on with the mayor. Good morning. Good morning, Mayor. I'm um, concerned about Restart. I understand I missed a good program yesterday, but I don't see how... A metropolitan city like this, you're finding millions of dollars for other things. That why you would let that go downhill? What about uh, restart the homeless shelter just east of downtown, Mayor, and its efforts to uh, keep uh, its operations going? Well, uh, we've been working very closely with Restart before this crisis and after. Uh, about a week ago, the Kansas City City Council approved $250,000 as a stopgap, I think, to help support and keep Restart open. As we go through this crisis, we're working with Restart because they reach a population that is incredibly important right now, making sure those who are entering and, and exiting homelessness uh, have a place to go, have a place to be healthy, have a place to shelter. So we do actually uh, invest in them right now from Kansas City local government, we'll probably continue to to make sure they stay afloat. You would hope to have a plan for the homeless in place by now. It still isn't there from at least based on our conversation yesterday. And we were told yesterday that at least two two homeless individuals in Kansas City have tested positive. And of course, there's lots of concern that the virus will rip through that population pretty quickly. When are we going to have a plan? Uh, I'm terrified for what will happen to the homeless population. To answer your question, um, every day we are working on a plan, and now I'll just uh, share it with you because we're among friends. We are trying to acquire facilities um, where we will be able to house those who need to be quarantined because they're suffering or because they're waiting, awaiting results. Um, the challenge is is money, um, and I wish it was easier to <laughs> to say uh, something different. But we we are ready to write checks. We're making trying to make sure we're working with state emergency management, federal emergency management, and our homelessness continuum of care to make sure we're there. So I think in some ways we we actually have a plan. The question is just how quickly we can execute it, how we can fund it, and that's what we're working on every day in Kansas City. I will say this. One of the reasons that we need to work with our states and federal government is because, as you know, homeless people don't just appear in Kansas City. Uh, they come from throughout, and frankly, there is a need throughout the entire region, Missouri and Kansas. Um, places like Restart fulfill a need for an entire metro. And uh, we hope that as we work with officials in Missouri and Kansas, uh, they help us on that support idea and making sure that there's a place that we can house those who are dealing with this virus but aren't uh, homed right now. So a little help from the state would be useful right now. It'd be incredibly important yeah. for us. You know, I think the governor made headlines yesterday of Missouri talking about how we can use the former Kemper Arena, uh, Silverstein Eye Care Center in Independence. Uh, I would hope that we see that same emphasis for housing homeless people right now who are dealing with this crisis. 
Let's go back to some phone calls for Mayor Quentin Lucas. Uh, Spencer from Shawnee. Spencer, you're on the show. Hey, hi, Steve, Mayor. Uh, I work in the construction industry in Kansas City, and there seems to be some kind of confusion about what is an essential project. Uh, we were understood that it would be infrastructure originally, but I've got jobs running. I've got uh, drive through custard restaurants. I've got library additions, um, you know, various projects that don't really seem like they would be essential. But I was wondering if we would see any reduction in the number of construction sites that would be up and running in the future. What about it, Mayor? Yeah, at this point, most construction projects of, of every type have been deemed essential. This is something that's kind of come out of our regional collaboration and orders. Uh, to answer the gentleman's question more directly, however, I think if you see an ongoing spike in cases, particularly one where there are new infections and, and ones that are untraceable, uh, then you are likely to see further restrictions. You know, people ask me all the time, what's the next step? What's the next thing we want to do? In a perfect world, we don't do anything else. Um, perhaps, however, in a world where we see these ongoing challenges, you would probably see construction uh, projects drop off in the level of their essentiality to the public. And I think it's fair to say a minor home improvement project may not be the type that needs to proceed um, in the future. We're not there yet in eliminating all of those, but that's probably a step that might come ahead. Uh, Jenny Zopa from um, uh, Kansas City uh, ha asked a question on my Facebook page, Mayor. What concrete plans is Kansas City, Missouri implementing to build hospital bed capacity in advance of the surge in cases? A few different things. The first of all is that we're working with um, the Missouri Hospital Association and their peers in Kansas to um, do a census of all available beds and ventilators. That includes not just the hospitals themselves, but for those of you, uh, like many of us who've had outpatient surgery, you recognize that there are a number of surgery centers, places where you can get tonsillectomies, even some dental offices have these materials. We're trying to make sure right now that our emergency medical services have a listing of and access to that. So that's a, a step one that is actually an important intermediate step before you need to, say, convert Bartle Hall into a hospital in some sort of way. Another thing that we're working on is how can we better utilize different institutions. For example, I had a conversation with the CEO of Children's Mercy Hospital um, late last week, and he was talking about is there a way, particularly because there are, fortunately, not a lot of child victims of this virus who are needing hospitalization thus far, is there a way we can transfer you? who are in other area trauma centers to Children's Mercy, and they'll be dealing with whatever else there, opening up more adult bed spaces at any number of the mm -hmm. hospitals in our region. Um, that's really the concrete step. Uh, those are the concrete steps Kansas City is taking right now while the Corps of Engineers continues to evaluate, do we need to create larger facilities at arenas or convention centers? Michael DePriest McGrath asked me this on Facebook. Seems like a good idea to designate one hospital to, uh, to all the COVID cases. Is, is that a possibility? Unfortunately, I don't believe so, um, and I, I understand the the desire and the need for it, but let's just use a, a hospital, for example, um, in Kansas City. Truman Medical Center performs a number of the births actually in Kansas City slash Jackson County each year. Um, they will need to continue to do those sorts of things. They are a level one trauma center, right. and so they're dealing with our gunshots and other really very serious incidents, and so it's almost, it, it's, it's, I know it seems challenging, but it's very hard to just turn off that 
spigot entirely, particularly when you have experts there. That's why the real thing that you will likely see is, um, and, and we have good separation at our hospitals. I mean, our, our, our hospitals in this region, I think, are very well prepared um, to segregate, in essence, those who are dealing with COVID-19, but um, they still need to kind of do a lot of that regular work that they do already. 816-235-2888 is a number here for Mayor Quentin Lucas. You can also tweet us at KCUR up to date. Let's go to Sam from Midtown, Kansas City. Sam, nice to have you. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Mr. Mayor, my question is that if the city is going to be stepping up enforcement actions of social distancing measures, what mm-hmm. are we going to do to ensure that those enforcement actions are not disproportionately targeted to minorities and communities of color? I think that's an outstanding question and something that has, um, frankly, pained me a lot because, you know, I I drove through different parts of our city over the weekend, and uh, there was a huge basketball game at Swope Park where a bunch of teenagers who, if not for this crisis, were doing exactly what we want them to do, Um, whereas, you know, there there are parks in different parts of the city where the demographics are very different, and frankly, it's harder to shut down a a collaboration of 100 kids um, because it just doesn't present itself in the same way. I mean, the way we're going to try to make sure we're fair and equitable is this. Um, One, it's making clear rules for everyone. It is making sure that those rules are being regularly enforced, whether the park is in the Northland, Southwest, Kansas City, or the East Side. Um, And I think it is making sure that rather than using 911, and that's what we are not doing right now, you're not supposed to call the 911 line with these types of emergencies, the the step of calling 311, having it work through a community interaction officer at the Kansas City police department, frankly, kind of slows down that enforcement process. So you don't have officers that are just driving up on people in certain areas and saying, you need to stop what you're doing. Instead, we're trying to be very methodical with our approach, because I recognize at any time of crisis, you see a disproportionate application in different communities of our city. I'm wondering what you're doing to keep yourself safe, Mayor. You know, that's something I think about a lot. Um, I have canceled all meetings now for probably going on about two weeks. Um, as you know, City Hall is closed to the public, um, except in central employees. And so uh, I, I try really to make sure I'm not close to anyone. Uh, but the risk of this virus, like, like for all of us, is that we all have loved ones. We all have uh, at least a few people in the world that we may see a lot. And that's why we have to continue our, our hand washing, the different social distancing. But, you know, Steve, it's actually a fear I have. I, um, you know, had to tell my mother, I think, think over the weekend and I uh, to stop going to the grocery store as much. I think because she can't do a, a lot right now. Right. She was saying, well, I have to, I'm making meatloaf today, so I need to do that. I said, <laughs> you know, I, and I would say this for every Kansas Cityan, limit those trips to once a week, at least. Just, just start there and maybe get to once every two weeks. I mean, there are things that are open, but it doesn't mean you need to go to them a lot. And I'm trying to live that same practice as well um, from, you know, heck, I, I, I usually do a lot of dry cleaning, you might expect. But now I've I've curtailed that because one, not many people see me that often. But two, it's because we all need to limit it. So I'm trying that. Although, look, I know I'm not immune. I know no one else is. So um, Rex Archer, our health director, actually said it well the other day at a press conference, which was you need to kind of live like you already have the virus. Yes. Yes. Not because you need to be scared, but more because what would the steps be that you would take? You wouldn't go out as much. You wouldn't want to infect somebody that's a loved one. You would keep that space. And that's how I'm trying to live now, too. 
We're visiting with Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas. Joan from Midtown. Joan, you're on with the mayor. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. Hi, Mayor Lucas. Um, I'm a resident of Midtown. Hi. And so as a resident of Midtown, I'm a huge supporter of our local coffee shops and a huge fan of them. I think it's a real blessing to our community. As a nurse, I'm kind of confused and concerned why they're still open. They just seem like a... A, a sort of good conductors of the virus, especially they, since they're operated by young kids who might be infected and not know that they have the infection. Joan, are they open for people to actually go in and sit down or just open for people to go in and grab no, a no. cup of coffee and leave? Yeah, Right. Most of them are doing a great job of, of just like selling their product, but most of their products are kind of, you know, just made individually and... Um, I just feel like even being so vigilant, I mean, you're, you're, they're not wearing masks to make them, obviously, right. to make coffee. Right. And so if you can't be six, within six feet of a person, how can I be within, how can I have a cup of coffee that was within a foot and a half of the person who made it? Yeah. Mayor, That's my what, concern. What about the coffee shops, Mayor? I think she has a fine point, and, and frankly, I think it's a gap we have right now, even in some of our food preparation, takeout, et cetera. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing of these physicians right now is that we are trying to draw lines. Um, the lines sometimes leave some activities that have a risk of exposure um, still out there. And so uh, I would hope that every coffee shop, that the short answer, by the way, is why are they still open? Because we've allowed for establishments serving food and drink to remain open so long as people aren't sitting down inside. That's the short answer. The longer answer is that I hope every institution that is in the food or drink preparation business is actually actually following good sanitary measures, is disinfecting counters and doorknobs and anything that the public is coming in contact with often, um, a ton. Frankly, I hope that's happening with grocery stores too. The caller has an outstanding point, which is that we still have some entities that are incredible conductors from your grocery store to your hardware store to liquor stores, all types of things. Um, We have made the balance to say that we aren't going to close them down yet because the public still needs things from each of those establishments. The liquor stores perhaps being the least useful, but in some parts of the city, um, that's where some people get food and all mm-hmm. types of things. And so that's why they're open, but we recognize the risk, and I would encourage anyone going to them, um, washing your hands or sanitizing when you're coming in and out, keeping your space there. Um, that's what we need to see more of. I know there was a kind of a furor in the Waldo area the other day because Betty Ray's ice cream, and I actually happened to see the line this week um, a line that stretched down the block of people that were going to pick up ice cream. The reason it was open was because they serve food. Right. But at the same time, there is this question as to whether that's necessary. And I would hope more businesses first follow those sanitary practices and then to the extent right. that perhaps they're not essential, really um, close down where they can. That's Kansas City, Missouri Mayor Quentin Lucas. Mayor, always appreciate your time. Stay safe Great. and we'll be in touch maybe in the next few days, okay? Hey, thank you, Steve. You bet. Well, now that a lot of us are working from home, it might feel like your private life and your work life are blurring together. Kids jump into Zoom calls unexpectedly. The look of everyone's home offices are suddenly public knowledge. My next guest has been investigating how Kansas Cityans are feeling about this new setup. Adam Vogler uh, is a visual journalist at the Kansas City Business Journal. Adam, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell me about this photo series you're doing and what you're hearing from people working from home, Adam. Well, we put on a call to all of our readers to, to share with us their, their home office since we've all, you know, we're in very different workspaces than we're used to, most of us. Uh, and also just wanted to 
find out how they're dealing with it. What's their favorite thing? What's their challenge and any advice they might have for, for everyone else. Would you say we're in an interesting moment right now where we're seeing our coworkers as well as late night talk show hosts in their homes rather than in professional settings like we usually see them in? Uh, it's, it's definitely very different. I, I mean, I think we've all seen sides of our coworkers. We were kind of surprised, <laughs> uh, but it's also interesting and, and kind of fun. Yeah. I understand that one of the goals behind this series is to make those of us frustrated with aspects of working from home feel maybe less alone, Adam. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it is also, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I asked everyone to include what one of their challenges is, uh, just to kind of know that, you know, we're all dealing with these very different things. And while there's some aspects we all love about being able to work from home and being close to family or, or pets, uh, we're all also dealing with, as you said, people walking in on our Zoom conference calls <laughs> or uh, cats jumping on keyboards and that sort of thing. So what were the themes uh, from the different submissions that you received that really stuck out to you? Um, I think one thing, everyone loves the commute and the, the, the dress code of working from home. Uh, but, you know, there's also some of the things that was, you know, everyone loves being with their family and, the, you know, the kids being around, but that can also be a bit of a challenge when you're, you're trying to get work done. Um, and also just the uniqueness of everyone's, you know, different workspaces. Some people have three monitors set up on a desk and other people are, uh, you know, working from their kitchen table or, a a plank put across two bar stools. It's uh, interesting. How many people have contributed so far, Adam? Uh, we've had I've had 125 folks. Wow! Uh, wow! So we have one gallery with 77, and another one that should publish tomorrow with 48. And we're accepting more. I, I'd love to see more people uh, send me stuff. We're hoping to do this every week. And they can do that through the Kansas City Business Journal, Adam. Yes, we have a, a story showing the, the questions in my email, uh, and it's up on the front page of our website. Hey. Uh, so it's on the homepage. They can clip on that and find out everything they need to know. That's Adam Vogler. Adam, thanks very much. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. We like hearing from you and how you're dealing with these unprecedented times. Whether it's a random act of kindness or a personal ritual, let us know. Leave us a voicemail at 816-398-8207 with your brief story, your name, and where you live. All that information is up on our website, kcur.org. We'll see you tomorrow. Up-to-date, special coverage, coronavirus in Kansas City. I'm Steve Kraske.